Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. Today is Monday, August 21st. Coming up, a disappointing progress report on the state of the Kansas foster care system, Child welfare advocates say state officials have good intentions. But if you're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's not working, there's there's a name for that. We hear from one of those advocates and the head of Kansas's foster care program. But first, our weekly look at the top government and politics stories on both sides of the state line. A Kansas judge ruled Friday that a group of transgender residents can intervene in a lawsuit over the ability to change the gender marker on their driver's licenses. Rose Conlon of the Kansas News Service reports. The lawsuit filed last month concerns a new Kansas law that Republican Attorney General Chris Kobach says requires officials to list a person's sex assigned at birth on their driver's license. The ACLU filed a motion on behalf of five transgender Kansans alleging they would be harmed by a ban on license changes. Shawnee County District Court Judge Teresa Watson now says they have an interest in the case and can have their voices heard in court. Kobach had opposed the intervention. License changes remain temporarily blocked while the case proceeds. And in Missouri, one of the big unknowns for the 2024 election is whether abortion rights will be on the ballot. That was one of the big topics for the state's two U.S. senators at a traditional political gathering at the Missouri State Fair in Sedalia. Sarah Kellogg has more. Both senators say Missouri voters will and should have the opportunity to vote on abortion rights. Speaking at the governor's ham breakfast, Senator Josh Hawley says he has supported allowing voters to decide on abortion. I'll defer to voters if if and when we get to have that on the ballot in Missouri. Similarly, Senator Eric Schmidt says he thinks it's inevitable that the question will be brought to Missouri voters. What will likely happen, which is what you know conservatives advocated for a long time, is let the states decide. And so I think we're probably headed for that in a lot of states, including Missouri. A set of proposed constitutional amendments would place abortion rights in Missouri's constitution, but there is a court battle over the proposed ballot language. More news in a minute. Don't go away. Back in 1908, Kansas City biscuit businessman Jacob Luce was locked into a bitter rivalry with Nabisco when he had this idea for a chocolate sandwich cookie, unlike anything on the market. The Hydrox had this like really elaborate laurel wreath and this really elaborate font. It was like a very baroque sort of cookie. How Kansas City created the original Oreo, that's on the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Kansas foster care services have been under scrutiny for decades. A 2018 lawsuit alleging serious problems in how kids were cared for was settled with the state making various commitments to improve policies and practices, while two recent reports provide a less than stellar assessment of how things are going. Some foster youth are still spending nights sleeping in social workers' offices. In fact, that number's even higher than a year ago. The state is still moving kids from placement to placement too often and falling short of benchmarks on ensuring adequate mental and behavioral health support services. There was some progress noted in the reports. More kids left the foster care system than entered it. Very few foster homes were operating over their licensed capacity. And more kids were in a long-term stable placement last year than the year before. So what's it going to take? 
to fix a broken system. I spoke about the recent reports on KCUR's talk show Up to Date, first with Teresa Woody, who's a lawyer with Kansas Appleseed Center for Law and Justice, one of the plaintiffs in that 2018 lawsuit. Here's an edited portion of our conversation. I asked Teresa to talk about one of the areas where the reports showed the state falling short, placement stability for youth in foster care. So placement stability, I mean, obviously the thing you want most for children in the foster care system is to have some security, some stability in their lives, uh, you know, family lives, educational um, access, all of those kinds of things. And when you lack that stability, as you do in these night-to-night placements, or even when, as we talked about, the, the number of times they're moving in, uh, you know, less than four years, I mean, a thousand days. Um, so that gives you kind of an idea. Yeah. If a child's moving, say, eight times in in four years, that's, you know, less than four years. That's twice a year. That's a lot. That's a lot for a child. And so the repercussions of that are very serious for their mental health, their physical health, and and their ability to access education. Why do you think it isn't working better? To what do you attribute the shortcomings in how the state is able to handle its foster care kids? Well, I think there's a lack of resources. And I know um, I know the legislature always says, oh, there's money, there's money. But there's definitely a lack of resources or it's the resources aren't being um, invested in the ways that they need to be. For instance, one of the overarching findings of the study and a thing that we noted throughout the litigation is just a, a total lack of a of an information system about these kids that you have. Kansas is one of the most privatized states in the country with respect to its foster care system. And so you have these various contractors. Um, they're not required to use any special sort of information gathering or data system. The state itself has a very old, ancient, balkanized system that's split between several agencies. And so when you get to that, you know, you get there, you're, you don't even know that you're getting reliable data. So mm-hmm. one, one of the contractors didn't even monitor the data in a computerized way. They're still using paper and then scanning that paper. And obviously, that's not optimal for collecting data. And if the state doesn't have the right data, how is it going to oversee these contractors and make sure that they're doing what they said they would do and that they're taking care of the kids? Is this about leadership? Is it about the the competence or the the, the kind of management that is being exercised at the Department of Children and Families? Or is it about politics? Is it about something the legislature isn't doing? Who who do you blame? Well, I think that the folks who work at the, at the at DCF in those departments, I think their intentions are good. I think they are trying to improve the system. I don't think we have any doubt about that. I think that, um, but if you're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's not working. There's there's a name for that, and I and I think they need to try some other things. And I think one of the biggest things is what we've talked about is just oversight of the contractors and if the and the privatization. I mean, can the legislature do more? Absolutely. I mean, this information system is going to cost a lot of money, and they need to be ready to allocate it. We need to have training programs set up for um, for foster families. Um, you know, I think the state has been doing a, a you know a credible job on the front end of trying to make sure children stay out of out of foster care. But when the legislature does things like make it harder for families to get food assistance by increasing their um, work 
uh, requirements to get SNAP and TANF, for instance, that's not helping. Those are the actual things that actually send children into the system. In a moment, we're going to talk with Laura Howard, the Secretary of the Department of Children and Families. Uh, what would you want to ask her? You know, I would I would want to ask her what they're really doing with the uh, with the um, with the contractors. I mean, they just sent out an RFP. I know they've responses to the RFP. They're supposed to select the contractors by this December, I believe. And you know, what are their plans to make the contractors comply and and improve um, the foster system? You know, Teresa, we've been talking a lot about metrics and about numbers, but of course, the the heart of a story like this is that it's about people. It's about kids in this case. Can you give us a, an example or a story of a particular uh, child who you think about when you think about this uh, this crisis in the foster care system? One thing that sticks with me is just the the staying in offices. Kids, a, kids with a, a kid with a behavioral needs, maybe has some autism, some things like that, was staying in offices last year for for months, mm. for months, and and you know. I mean, what kind of assistance is that child getting? That was Teresa Woody with Kansas Appleseed. I also spoke with Laura Howard. She's the secretary of the Kansas Department of Children and Families. And I asked her whether she agreed that the system isn't where it needs to be. You know, I won't be satisfied till we have zero kids in offices and until every child who has to come into foster care for whatever reason is in a stable placement. Yeah. I mean, it does seem that in, at least in some of those categories, things are even getting worse, though. The, the number of kids spending the night in offices increased by 54 percent year over year last year. Yeah, let, let me just give a, a quick context there. One of the things I was pleased to see in the report is that 91% of kids in our system are in a stable placement, and that increased from 86% last year. Um, we also know that about 86% of kids in our in our care had two or fewer moves, but there is a cohort of youth tend to be older youth, really high needs, um, that have been those youth that have spent those nights in offices and are having a lot of moves. Now, I would say, Brian, this wasn't a surprise to us in the sense that this is calendar year 2022 data. So there are steps we were already taking before this report came out Mm -hmm. to address some of those pieces like the kids in offices. So those would show up in the assessment next year? You know, they should. I mean, for example, um, the youth in offices, we were really disappointed to begin to see those numbers go in the wrong direction um, during calendar year 2022. So one of the efforts we put into place a few months ago was what we called a failure to place network, kind of like a bed hole at a hospital where foster homes could essentially be on hold to take those um, placements of those youth. That's been incredibly successful. And we've seen a 50% reduction since we put that into place in kids being in offices. We're not at zero. Um, but we're going in the right direction. So that's just one example of the sorts of, of efforts. Uh, again, there's more work to do, and we're committed to that. And I, I you know, I, I, I'm not satisfied. You've been in this work now for several years. Uh, you've got a lot of colleagues working on this. You're not meeting the benchmarks. Why, why not? You know, I would say a couple things about that. One, you know, there are some things that I think are clearly within the control of us as a state agency. 
and and in control of our partners, the the case management providers in foster care. And in, in those cases, um, I feel really a real need to amp up some of the accountability, some of the outcomes related to our providers. But then there are larger issues. I mean, when we think about, you know, access to mental health supports, that's an issue that's larger than foster care. And I was really pleased um, going into this last legislative session that the very things we're talking about in this report are the very things where we received some new resources, um, $6 million to invest in therapeutic foster care so we could have robust options for for those highest needs kids that we're really struggling to find appropriate placements to help them find stability and some other investments like that. So the investment of the state to um, kind of reinvent our community mental health system to become what are called certified community behavioral health clinics. Teresa, a moment ago, and and actually the report itself, this this assessment report, were pretty critical of some of the the systems that are in place, like the antiquated computer data management system for for keeping track of all of these mm-hmm. these kids and all of these contractors. Uh, do, do you do you share that concern, and are you taking steps to fix that? We do. In fact, we have a request for proposal that just closed for what's called a comprehensive child welfare information system. All states need to have this um, federally. This is a major initiative in Kansas that will really have a huge impact. I mean, the gaps that when we have a a public-private partnership in our state, this will have data from all of our partners in the system as well as our own data. So we are evaluating those proposals right now. And we've asked for those proposals to be designed in such a way that the vendors would propose bringing things on, you know, in stages so Mm -hmm. that we're not waiting four or five years to see some progress. So we're excited. It's taken a long time to get here, but we are very excited to have that um, that in the um, review process right now. A lot of the concern seems to be around the how privatized the system is, how many contractors you you have to use to accomplish the the caregiving that you're trying to give. Uh, Is that a concern for you? Is that something that could change? You know, that's really not a concern to me. Uh, you know, Kansas has had a public-private partnership since the mid-90s. We actually, through that partnership, were one of the first states to have kind of outcomes-based contracts. Those actually became the model for what the federal reviews are based on. So I, I don't think that the issue has to do with the private system. I think that it's it's about... It's about accountability in our system, and it's about all system partners really being part of the solution. You know, one of the things I'm excited about, Brian, you know, when you think about child welfare, there's, um, you know, there's the state agency and our and our partners. There's also the court system, and we know from the recent federal review, and we already knew this, and we've been talking to the legislature about it, that kids stay in care too long. That was Laura Howard, Secretary of the Kansas Department of Children and Families. I spoke with her and with Teresa Woody of Kansas Appleseed on KCUR's Up to Date. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Brian Ellison. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. You can hear my entire up-to-date conversation on Kansas foster care, including reporting with Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service, at kcur.org, the online home of Kansas City's NPR station. Don't forget, we'd love to have more people know about this program, so don't forget to rate and review our show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.
At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.